this Sunday Fun Day. I think a couple of you came today and didn't know it's kind of Sunday Fun Day. So just a reminder, Kristen will be coming up as soon as, as the service is over to give us some instructions. But you can see behind me the classic cars. Don't go back there yet, but I'm going to head back there after the service. There's games around the corner for kids, a free lunch for everybody here. And that'll be over at the East Door. Um, line dancing, trivia inside. So lots of fun stuff. Please stay after. And just fellowship. Just be together. I wanted to say thanks not only to our worship team, but the people who do tech. So we've done 11 Sundays this summer. We did have two rainouts where we went indoors. But uh, they were here very early. They get here at 6.45 or 7 a.m. to set up. There's been some really faithful people. I don't want to name them because I'm sure I will forget someone. But some faithful people that come early that are volunteers to help us set all this up. I want to give thanks to Jim Pichter, who provides our, our stage right here, our trailer. Every Sunday is amazing. And the people who tear down, uh, they do incredible stuff. The people doing all the tech, uh, as we say, we're live streaming today. And so live streaming takes a lot of work and, and tech. So let's give a, a, a big thank you to everybody who helps put this on. Thank you so much. It is a ton of work, so thanks all everybody. Also want to add my congratulations, Liz included in the prayer to Elia and Aaron Morakovich. Elia is our next gen director. They had their second child on Tuesday of this week, Cora Adelaide, the baby girl, and so we're excited for Elia and Aaron, and we'll look forward to meeting Cora. Also want to let you know from our session, our session is our board of elders. On Tuesday night, we'll be meeting for our regular monthly meeting, and we're gonna be having conversations about if we need to make any changes in our worship plans with new health guidelines coming out with schools and Marion County and other places kind of making changes in their health guidelines. Uh, our session will be discussing that and we'll let you know via email probably on Wednesday or Thursday if we make any changes. As of today, as Jim announced, we'll be inside at 8, 9, 30, and 11 but if there, uh, next Sunday, but if there are any changes, uh, we'll let you know via email. So I just wanted to let you know we are talking about that and that will be coming. All right, as we continue in our sermon series, Grace Dangerous, and in the New Testament, in a year, we are now in the book of Romans. If you were here last week, you heard Ilya Morakovich walk us through Abraham's story in Romans 4. You're like, Abraham's from the Old Testament. But Paul really retells his story, and he said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham didn't deserve to be called righteous, he was a sinner like us. He made wrong choices. In fact, on two occasions, he told people that were more powerful than he was that his wife was actually his sister. Probably did this out of fear uh, that he might be punished or hurt or something else, but he made a lot of mistakes. He was a sinner. So he, he didn't deserve to be called righteous, but God said he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. When I heard that last week and heard Ilya talk about that, it gave me some comfort because I know I'm in the same boat as Abraham. I'm a sinner. One of the things I like to say, it's a good reminder for myself, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And guess what? If you're here today, if you're breathing, you're a sinner in need of a savior too. I hope that's not bad news for you uh, because I'm gonna bring bringing some good news in just a few minutes because we are in Romans. Romans is the Apostle Paul's longest book. It's his fullest explanation of the gospel by far. And when I say gospel, it's not really the written words of the gospel. It's a case for Christ, and I'm borrowing that language. It's a case for Christ in who Jesus is. And Paul kind of lays out that case throughout 
the book of Romans. It's the basics of our faith, which should give us hope for the future. And I wanna tell you again, um, we need hope, don't we, in today's world with all the problems that we face in our own lives, with the problems we hear about every day in the world, we need hope. This message from Romans today in the middle part of Romans brings us hope. So in your bulletin this morning, you should have received one of these. If maybe you can share it with the person next to you. If not, there may still be some bulletins. You could get one. Uh, down at the bottom, these are, this is part of the passage out of Romans 8 that I'm about to read. And at the top is the Romans road. We're gonna get to that as well. So here we go, Romans 8, 28 through 39. And part of, the, part of that is in those verses at the bottom. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, and was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let us pray. God, on this beautiful Sunday, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, give honor and praise to you. God, teach us and move us as we study your word in Romans. Amen. So reading this part of uh, Romans 8, it's the last part of Romans 8, really should encourage us. Paul says one of the many things, we are more than conquerors. I know sometimes we feel like we are the conquered. And other times we may feel like we are the conquerors. Uh, maybe sometimes more than others, we feel like we are conquered. But Paul says, we are conquerors through Jesus who loved us. He goes on to say, nothing shall separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. That's encouraging good news. He also lists some bad news here as well. The things that we have to face in life, right in the middle there, which I just read. Hardship, distress, distress persecution, famine, sword, rulers or powers, even death. We know life is hard, so why is it that Paul has to be so descriptive? I might add some things we've experienced over the last year and a half or two years. Anxiety, stress, disease, COVID-19, cancer, 
violence, yes, even death. These are the things that we face that makes life dangerous. And so we need God's grace dangerous as well. But Paul then gives us the good news again. He says, even in the midst of those things, nothing shall separate us from God's love. How can we be sure it is the good news of Jesus? He says in verse 28 again, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What about verse 31? What then we are to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It is better to have God on our side than anything else or anyone. So when I was in seminary, and I've said this before, but it was a great reminder. I I don't remember a lot from seminary, like 30 years ago. This is one thing I do remember. My New Testament professor was asked, "What, what happens at the judgment day? What happens at the end of time? Can you explain this? You know, we're reading the book of Revelation. What does this all mean? Can you explain to us what do we need to do? And he basically said, well, listen to this. If you are on God's side, you win because Jesus wins. If you are on God's side, you win because Jesus wins. This is good because it is Jesus who intercedes for us. That's the word that that is used here in Paul's language. Jesus stands in the gap. There's other places we read where Jesus is our judge, but the judge also intercedes for us. The good news is that it's as if he were a judge wearing his holy robes, but he takes off the holy robes to intercede for us on our behalf. So as with Abraham, it can be given us credit as righteousness, not for something we deserve, but something he gives us. This gives us hope. I don't know about you, but when we go to a memorial service, a funeral, a celebration of life, whatever we wanna call it, it is for someone we love. Maybe it's the family we know, maybe it's someone we work with, maybe it's our own family member, maybe it's some, uh, sometimes a close family member. And I think we wanna hear a couple of things at a funeral. We wanna hear the good things about that person that they did in life. And I love it sometimes we hear stories maybe at the end of their life after they're gone here from earth that we never knew. Some of the great stories that we just didn't know, they weren't told, but now we have an opportunity to hear those stories. But we also want the big story. We want to have hope that our friend or loved one that we knew is in heaven. That's the hope of heaven. I wanna tell you, you know, I've been a pastor for over 25 years and I wanna hang my hat. I wanna be uh, dependent on the fact that we have hope that there is a heaven, that we have hope in eternal life. It's something we need. And the more funerals you go to, the more times you're at a graveside in a cemetery, we need to believe in that hope. And I believe with all my heart, it is something that is true and that we can believe in. Hope is a big part of what we need, of what Jesus offers. And this is what Paul explains throughout Romans, but really in this Romans road and in Romans eight. He says again, we have hope that we are more than conquerors. When we feel down, when things aren't going well, when we have anxiety, stress, depression, we can still be, turn ourselves over to God, ask for help, ask for help from God and from others, and have hope that he can help us conquer those dark places in our lives. We have hope that, is, that if God is for us, who can be against us? 
Who can stand against us if God is for us? We have hope that nothing shall separate us from God's love. Not the difficult things that we've faced in the past week or the past year, not our own sin, because Jesus is the one who forgives us of our sin, but we hope that nothing shall separate us, not even death from God's love in Jesus Christ. We hope and we believe that we are justified by faith, which Paul says here too, which means God considers us righteous like Abraham last week through faith. If we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, Abraham didn't even have that. We know that now. And we believe Jesus is our Lord. We are justified by our faith. We have righteousness through our faith. We're considered to be right with God. We have the hope that we will never be separated from God's love. And we have the hope of life eternal, life forever with God. And it starts now. It starts when you have Jesus in your life now. It's abundant life that John talks about. It's the good life. Even in the midst of life troubles, uh, God gives us that abundant life and the promise of eternal life, which begins now with him. Ben Witherington is a Bible scholar, Bible commentator that I read this week. He said this about Romans 8. The scope of God's love in this passage, that nothing shall separate us from God's love. The scope of God's love is greater than the scope of the world's powers. God's love is greater than the world's powers. So let's look how we get to be on the side of Jesus and how we receive these promises and how we have hope. So again, this is in the Romans road. And the reason I had this printed for you today, I think number one, it's easier to read. And number two, if you wanna keep this and put it somewhere on a mirror, on your refrigerator, in your car, um, I would invite you to do that. So here's some of the Romans road. You say, what's the Romans road? Did Scott make that up? No, I didn't. I think growing up in Texas and in the Bible Belt, this is something I heard growing up. Did a little research on it the last two weeks. And there's some different verses that can be in Romans road. But for most folks, they believe that these are kind of the key verses where Paul lays out what it means to follow Jesus. So let's look at the Romans road where we get this hope that he describes in chapter eight. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The Israelites had the law that was given to them to tell them right for wrong, but they couldn't follow it. And we can't either. We cannot always follow the rules. I wanna tell you, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And someday I think I'm really not fully recovered. I am very much a perfectionist. I wanna tell you that, all right. I definitely was growing up very much until, and I became less of a perfectionist, at least in my schoolwork, uh, my junior and senior year, and I don't know if you took these classes, but I took AP Chemistry, AP Physics, and AP Calculus, and I just barely passed. So I went, I wanna be, uh, let's, let's be, let's be transparent here. I just barely passed those classes. And I realized I was no longer a straight A student. I was someone who just needed to pass those classes. But I think here's sometimes what perfectionists do. And, and if not, I know, uh, if you don't do these, I know I do these. I'll be transparent here again. I've been known to cover up my own mistakes or to rationalize my sin. Here's a couple of things I'll, I'll do. Well, you know, what I'm doing is not as bad as Mr. Smith over there. Look over at him instead of me. I'm not as bad as that. I was only mean to you or said something mean to you because you first said something mean to me. So I get a break on that, right? I get, I get, uh, I get a break on that. That sin that I'm doing, I'm not really sure it's a sin at all. But if it is, 
It's a really small one. So I think I get off easy on that, right? No, we don't. I think I've realized as a recovering perfectionist is that I need to acknowledge my own failures, my own limitations. Elia talked a little bit that last week. That's a healthy thing to do. And it's flawed thinking to think otherwise. But here comes the good news. That was Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We sometimes turn our back on God and yet still Jesus died for us. I don't know if you picked up on it. Jason read it at the start of the service today leading into worship. It says, sometimes someone will die for a good person, someone that you love, someone you care for. Sometimes someone will die for someone who's really good. And yet Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, knowing that we are flawed, Jesus still died for us. We sometimes think our good deeds, our morality, our good intentions save us, but they don't. We cannot have a perfect score in life. And yet, God loves you. I used to hear this story. I'm gonna use an analogy again. It's not one of my uh, uh, story again. It's not mine. I'll, I'll pass it on. But I used to say, you know, if you get out your wallet or your billfold or your purse for the ladies and say, you know, I've got pictures of my kids. I'd love to show you pictures of my kids there and how proud I am of them. Now you might go to Instagram or Facebook or somewhere else, or you might pull out your phone and say, I've got pictures of my kids. I wanna uh, show you how, how great they are. And I have a picture on the homepage of my phone of, of my four kids and their two cousins. It's a great picture, by the way. I'll show it to you later if you want. But I sometimes think when I'm on in my more downside, maybe God pulls out his phone and he pulls up my picture and he might say, you know, look, there's Scott. I love him, but you know, he's a perfectionist. We all know he's not perfect. We all know he's a sinner. He still needs me. But I think more of what, if we could read God's mind or see God in that situation, it would, bore, it would more look like this. Here's a picture of Scott. Here's a picture of Sam, of Sarah or Amy or Jim. Here's a picture of my child. I love them so much. I would do anything for them. I am proud of who they are and I wanna tell you all about them. God loved us so much that he proved his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's a cost to sin as well. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages or cost of sin is death, but the free gift, you get it at no cost, is life. So I think it's a no-brainer to choose life with Jesus. Sin pays wages. You get what you deserve. Sin costs something. But God gives you a free gift that costs nothing. You are given what you do not deserve. Do you want to get what you deserve through sin? Or do you want to be given what you do not deserve? Grace. One person I was reading this week said this about this passage in Romans. We often as humans choose sin and selfishness. I know I can be selfish. That leads to death. We can choose Jesus who gives love and selflessness. Jesus leads to life. The solution to sin is Jesus. And it is eternal life, abundant life in him. So what do we need to do? We can believe and receive. 
Uh, but before we get there, I want to tell you another story. Again, as I was researching this this week, I came up upon this story. It's by a pastor from the South. I didn't write down what st state he was from. I think he was a Southern Baptist preacher. His name was Andy Cook. So I want to give him credit for this story. And he said, a mother's life might be summarized this way with six words. Her son died in the war. Her son died in the war. Whoever this mom might be, her story might go like this. This mom fell in love with a great man and she married him and he was her husband. She became pregnant with her first child. She was nauseous and sick when pregnant, but she didn't mind because she was carrying a child in her body. She didn't sleep much at the end of her pregnancy, nor after her son was born. She fed him, she changed his diaper, she rocked him when he cried. She put band-aids on his skinned knees when he fell as a boy. She bought him clothes, she fed him, she bought his bike when he could ride the bike. She and her husband sacrificed money and time and everything truly to raise their son. When he was an adult, he chose to join the military and he went to war. She got the word one day, sadly, that her son had died in the war. Reading Romans 8, we too could say about God, his son died in the war. Jesus loved his only begotten son, his only heavenly son, Jesus, but he sent him to earth as a baby to be raised by Mary and Joseph, to grow up as a boy, to live as a man, to suffer and to die, to die in the war for sin that he won. He won the war by dying. God sent him into the world knowing all this. So it is a gift that we cannot earn, but we must receive the gift. Much as when you hand someone a gift on Christmas morning or their birthday, they have to put out their hand to receive the gift. I believe in the same way, Jesus gives us a gift, but he wants us to receive it, to accept it. So what do we do? Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I did youth ministry for about 14 years and this was a verse I used often. You know, when things got complicated or you had an opportunity, maybe at a weekend retreat, uh, something called the awakening or something else like that, you could share these verses with kids and just say, listen, folks, if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two points about that. Not you might be saved, maybe you'll be saved, sort of you'll be saved, partly you'll be saved. You will be saved. If you say Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your mind and in your heart. I've heard a few friends say through uh, the great banquet ministry that the biggest step they took in their lives was from their head to their heart, because we can believe intellectually that there is a God, but do we believe it in our heart? Do we begin to believe it with our soul, with love and with passion, that truly I wanna follow Jesus. He truly is God's son and I wanna follow him. I wanna be with him because it's the best life I have. It's a lot more than fire insurance. If you don't know what fire insurance is spiritually, again, I grew up in Texas in the Bible Belt and people used to say, do you have your fire insurance? You might go, that's weird. They actually said that. They would say, do you have your fire insurance? Meaning, do you believe in Jesus so you won't go to the bad place where there is fire? That's what you wanna get. You wanna get your fire insurance. But it's so much more than fire insurance. 
It's a sense in your heart, not just to your head, not just your fire insurance, it's your passion yourself. Do you really believe and wanna live in faith? So you believe it and say it. To summarize a little bit before we pray, what do we need to do? I think it's good today to be self-aware of who we are, to be self-aware and acknowledge that we struggle, that we sin, that our sin separates us from God and that we need God's help. That's a good acknowledgement. To acknowledge and believe that Jesus died for us and his grace and his life is a free gift. We need to believe it and receive it and say it. So before we pray, I wanna encourage you to do a couple of things. I, re I really would encourage you to keep this, if not for the long term, at least temporarily, to look at again these verses in Romans that encourage you to live with Jesus, to believe it and receive it and say it. And on the back, I wanted to remind you, today is August 1st. It's the beginning of the month of August. And one of the things we talked about doing this summer was in June to take walks quietly and pray and listen to God. In July, to write. If you haven't been writing much this summer, I haven't been writing, I've been writing some, but not a lot. There's a place for you to write here at the bottom of that. In fact, if, if when I pray, if you have a response to God, you could write it there or write it at home later. And then in August, starting today, we're encouraging you to invite a neighbor um, in God's grace to invite a neighbor to eat with you this month. And so with that, realizing we need Jesus, let us pray. Most loving God, as we pray, we ask your spirit to be with us. God, Romans 8 really starts out by talking about that your spirit is with us, that we can do these things in your spirit. God, right now, I wanna offer the opportunity that if there are people here gathered in this parking lot today who maybe have never believed it and received it and said it, that they can do that now. God, maybe we've never acknowledged that we are sinners, we're in need of a savior and that we have that in you. We've heard it. Maybe we've never taken that step. God, there could be other people here who say, I need to recommit that. I need to recommit. I've been away and God's gonna love me. He's got his picture of me. He loves me. He cares about me. His son died in the war and he's gonna give me an opportunity to come back to him again. And so God, right now, what I wanna do is pray some words to you. And if there's those out there who need to say it for the first time, or say it again because they've moved away from you, that they would pray these words silently or aloud as I pray them here from the front. God, today we acknowledge and realize that we sin. God, that our sin separates ourselves from you and that we need your help. God, through Romans and really through the New Testament, what we read and believe is that Jesus was your son. He came to earth, he suffered, he lived, and he died, that he rose from the dead. And God, because of that, we believe as Paul lays out here in Romans, God, we believe that your grace is for us. That if we believe in you and we say Jesus is Lord, that you will come into our lives and truly be Lord. And then we can begin to learn how to live for you. Oh Lord, if we need to pray it again, to recommit ourselves to you, I pray that anyone out there would say whatever words come into their hearts and minds to recommit their lives to you right now. I'm just gonna give a moment of silence for people to think about that and to pray that silently to you and you will hear their prayers right now.
So God, we thank you that you hear our prayers and that you sent Jesus to die for us, that we can be here today. Thank you for all these truths, all these promises, and all the hope that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. And we can have the opportunity to celebrate this in a real way because we've heard from Paul in the book of Romans how we can have life through Jesus. And now we get to celebrate as we do here at ZPC on the first Sunday of the month through communion. You are truly God's family, his children. 